Ben Weingarten for Encounter Books, and today I'm joined by Sally Pipes, author of the new broadside, The Way Out of Obamacare. Ms. Pipes has been president and CEO of the Pacific Research Institute since 1991 and held a variety of leadership positions in both the public and private sectors relating to healthcare policy. You can read her bi-weekly Piping Up column at Forbes, as well as several of her books on the subject, including The Cure for Obamacare, The Pipes Plan, The Truth About Obamacare, and Miracle Cure. I also should mention, and we'll get to this later, that Ms. Pipes made a cameo in Michael Moore's Sicko, which will be uh, an interesting uh, subject to explore. But in any event, Sally, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for including me on the show. So, Sally, how has Obamacare, if you were to synopsize it, imperiled America's health insurance market? Well, I would say that Obamacare, which will celebrate its sixth birthday on March 23rd of this year, it really has impacted health care in a negative way, and in particular, uh, health care for the American people. We have seen uh, premiums up, deductibles up, so that middle-class people can't afford the deductibles. We've seen um, networks of doctors and hospitals reduced in size, so that when people think they sign up for an exchange plan, that they would have the same doctor and hospital that they had before, and they're finding out that they don't because these plans are, as I say, they're, the networks are very narrow in many of the plans, and people don't investigate that. Uh, we have seen the number of people um, covered on the exchanges be much lower than the um, administration had predicted, and certainly um, much lower than the con- uh, Congressional Budget Office. It looks like this year enrollment on the exchanges um, will be about 10 million, which is below the 13 million that was forecast, and definitely below the 21 million that was forecast by the Congressional Budget Office. We have not achieved universal coverage. The cost of care um, is up, and we are really empowering the federal government into the lives of all Americans by taking control of our healthcare system. And and one of the things that's so fascinating, although in a sort of terrifying fashion and fashion about it is that we've seen all of these horrendous impacts of centralizing the healthcare system as one would expect. But there are so many shoes that are still to drop in the coming years, and many of the most pernicious ones have sort of been punted down the road. Speak a little bit to some of the other shoes to drop that will further cripple the marketplace. Well, you know, the Obama as, as president really um, took executive action on many parts of Obamacare, i.e. delaying the employer mandate Um, you know, um, changing um, when taxes would come into being, all of these things. Most recently, we saw in the the approval of the spending bill and the tax extender plan that, um, you know, there was no more money for the risk uh, corridor program, which is very negatively impacting insurance companies. Insurance companies thought that those who suffered losses were going to be able to um, you know, get funding from the federal government. And last year, in 2014, they were pre- hoping those companies that had losses to bring in about $162 million. I mean, I'm sorry, they were hoping to bring in $2.5 billion. In fact, only $162 million were available. And the tax extenders plan under the spending bill did not um, extend further funding for the risk corridor program, which is a three-year program and expires Um, at the end of of this year. So that is having a negative impact on insurance companies. And what we've seen um, already is that UnitedHealth has said that they may not provide um, plans uh, on the exchanges in 2017. 
Aetna Insurance, one of the big insurers, also has said the same. Humana, which Aetna is in the middle of merger talks with, um, has said the same. So um, if there are fewer insurers, combined with the fact that um, of the five major insurers, three, there probably will only be three insurers left if the um, Anthem uh, Signa deal goes through and the Aetna um, uh, Humana deal goes through. We'll have fewer insurers. Um, insurance companies are feeling the pinch they may get out of the market. And so this is having, you know, a negative um, impact on the whole idea of comp building competition, which is something that the president wanted to do. He thought there were, you know, he, he, his plans would be bringing about more competition. We have seen also that the co-ops that were set up under the Affordable Care Act, which he said would bring about lower prices and more competition, 12 out of the 23 co-ops have already failed affecting about 750,000 Americans, 200,000 in New York State alone. Um, and we, the taxpayers, have lost about $1.3 out of the $2.5 put into the plan. So all of these things are really sh showing us that down the road, the Affordable Care Act is not going to lead to affordable, accessible, quality care for all Americans. You touched on two points there in particular that, that I wanted to pick up on during our conversation. Uh, one of them being the consolidation among insurers. And, and one of the perverse things about hyper-regulation is that it actually tends to encourage oligopolies or even quote-unquote monopolies that Democrats and progressives more broadly claim to be against. Speak a little bit to that. Right, exactly. So when we look at these mergers between um, um, Aetna and Humana and between Anthem and uh, Cigna and also the Centene takeover of uh, um, uh, U.S. Uh, HealthNet. Um, these, you know, economists, you know, from many stripes would show that consolidation like this in the market is not going to lead to more competition and lower prices. In fact, the exact opposite is true. And I think one of the reasons that the insurance companies are, you know, trying to get these mergers approved by the Department of Justice and perhaps even the Federal Trade Commission is that with the um, um, the King v. Burwell decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in uh, June of 2015, um, what they saw was, you know, that the subsidies are legal for those uh, people who are um, in the in those states that have healthcare.gov, the federal exchange along with the state exchanges. So they they feel that, you know, in order to um, increase market share, that they should um, they should merge. And of course, I think um, this is the wrong decision. It is it is either building, you know, an oligopoly or monopolies in the insurance industry and really, you know, will increase prices and bring about less competition in the market, which will ultimately hurt um, consumers who you know, are interested in getting coverage in which they feel they were promised under Obamacare. And one suspects then that, of course, the government, uh, depending upon what administration is in power at the time, will rail against the evil health insurance companies who are raising prices on helpless consumers, uh, and that could ultimately push towards the sort of death spiral that might augur a single-payer, quote-unquote, health care system. Uh, do you think that John Roberts ultimately is going to be held responsible for there being a single-payer system in this nation by way of his ruling in King v. Burwell, which you just invoked? 
Right. Well, I think that um, it was very disappointing um, in June of 2015 when the decision came down six to three that the subsidies to those people on the exchanges run by healthcare.gov were actually um, uh, legal because the law very clearly stated that the subsidies were available for those people in exchanges which were established by the state. So I think I think today many people blame um, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts for, for the whole mess that we're in. And I think, you know, some people disagree with me um, on, the, on the idea that we are heading towards a single-payer system, which is, i.e., Medicare for all. I grew up in Canada under Medicare for all, single-payer. I can, you know, talk for hours about what happens when the government controls the healthcare system fully. Just look at the Veterans Administration. It's an example of a single-payer system where vets are not getting the kind of care they need, it, need. they're on long waiting lists, um, and they're not, they don't have access to many of the latest treatments and procedures. That's what happens in countries like Canada and England and, that have these single-payer systems. So I, I do um, blame Justice Roberts for this situation. And I think as we see, you know, the insurance companies, you know, when United's CEO said, you know, we may have to get out of the exchanges in 2017 because we are losing... Uh, money on the plans, um, if insurance companies get out um, and the president would say, well, you know, th these insurance companies are getting out, they can't, you know, they're just trying to make more money and make more profit. But in fact, if the sh insurance companies can't make the profit and don't stay in business, then we will be on the path to a single-payer uh, Medicare for all system. And I think um, it will be a disaster. Uh, for Americans, just like it is in, in countries like Canada and the UK, where every day there are stories on the fact that people can't get coverage. Canadians wait on average 18.3 weeks from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist. And Canadians have an escape valve. They can come to the United States and about 55,000 Canadians out of a population of 35 million come to the U.S. every year and pay out of pocket for MRI, um, CT scans, um, orthopedic surgery, um, all of these things where they feel that the waiting time is just too long um, and it's not in the interest of their health. And presumably, of course, if we, America being the last best help on earth, if we were to end up with that single-payer Medicare for all type system, I imagine, and you can tell me if you disagree, that then there would probably be an underground black market in medical care that's separate and apart from the government-controlled system. But one other pernicious element of it, when you think about the slippery slope of government control of those most basic decisions which come to our individual health, is the fact that if the government becomes the primary controller of healthcare, why can't the government then mandate that Americans do all sorts of things to ensure that they are as healthy as possible? I mean, how Orwellian could it get in that sort of situation based on your experience in Canada and elsewhere? Well, I mean, I think, you know, this, this opens up, you know, the, the, the system for the government controlling many aspects um, of our lives. But when, but when the government runs the healthcare system, in a country like Canada, where private health care is um, not allowed under the Canada Health Act, um, you, you, you have all of the problems that I talked about, and that, you know, Canadian people um, find it, 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 it very difficult um, to get coverage. But if you don't need to use the health care system in Canada, you think, well, it's probably fine if you need to go to the doctor for, you know, a cold or a sore throat. 
where the real problem comes in is in specialized care. And in America, we're used to, you know, calling up, you know, um, our ophthalmologist or obstetrician or whatever. In countries like Canada and England, you have to go through a primary care doctor first, and it's a, a very lengthy procedure. And as I say, the waiting times, as we've seen in the Veterans Administration in this country, become become very long. And in many cases, you know, to deny care means it reduces the cost of the health care system. As the strains of Obamacare continue to be felt at an accelerating rate, and ultimately, assuming we get to that point, the Cadillac, quote-unquote Cadillac tax, which was just pushed out a couple of years in recent legislation, uh, is implemented and, and levied on businesses. If the system doesn't collapse of its own weight, you propose some solutions in your book that will make for a more market-oriented system, maybe not a perfect system, maybe not a complete free market system, but something better than Obamacare and better than what we had in the years leading up to Obamacare. So speak to some of your solutions that you think are politically viable today. Well, I think, you know, it, it's, it's very um, apropos that we are doing this interview now because on January 6th, the House voted um, to approve the reconciliation bill, which would really gut a major part um, of Obamacare and also delay, I mean, allow the uh, Medicaid expansion and the subsidies to continue for just two years. Um, as you know, on Friday, January 8th, the president um, vetoed this reconciliation bill. But I think it really showed the American people that the Republicans are willing to stand up and say, we don't like Obamacare, we would like to see this repealed. The important thing, repeal is one important part, but of a greater importance is the Republicans need to have a replacement plan. And I think um, House Speaker um, uh, Paul Ryan has said, it's been a long time getting here, but but we are here. And so the, the important thing is, will the Republican Party get behind a single replacement plan? A few years ago, Newt Gingrich said, you know, the problem was the Republicans didn't have a replacement plan. The Republicans have many replacement plans. The problem is they've never had a single replacement plan. So I am optimistic after the veto by the president of the uh, reconciliation bill that they will get together and rally behind a single replacement plan. And in my book, The Way Out of Obamacare, I've tried to you know, present you know, seven to ten good ideas of what should be in a replacement plan. Because we want a health care plan that empowers doctors and patients and not the federal government. So one of the first things that needs to be part of a replacement plan is to create a level playing field for, for health insurance. The federal government got us into this whole mess um, in the beginning by um, allowing those people who have employer-based coverage, i.e. 60% of Americans have their health care through their employer, the employer um, um, provides health coverage, and the employee does not have to pay tax on the cost of those benefits, even though their salary will be lower because their employer is providing coverage. But it, it tends to, this program tends to lead to job lock, because if you're a person who has a pre-existing or chronic condition, you're tied to your job, because if you leave your job or you're fired from your job, you have to go out into the individual market and buy a health care plan uh, with your after-tax dollars. So in the first instance, I would like to see the federal government change the tax code so that people, that everybody can get their coverage in the beginning with 
um, with uh, pre-tax dollars. Ultimately, I would like to see the employer, uh, this employer provision removed so that individuals, you know, have a decision, have their own um, opportunity to get their coverage and it shouldn't be tied uh, to their job. Another point is that, you know, how do you, under Obamacare, they have these subsidies for those people um, earning between 138 and 400% of the federal poverty level and they're on a sliding scale. I think a new health care plan should include age-based refundable tax credits so that um, for people um, um, earn, uh, between the ages of uh, 18 to 35, they would get a, a refundable tax credit of $1,200, 35 up to 50, $2,100, and for those 50 and over, $3,000. If you spend less, you would be able to put that money away into your health savings account. This will empower um, patients more than the subsidy program that is under, under Obamacare. But the tax code is a major part of the problems that we've seen um, in our healthcare system. So that has to be changed. We need to reduce federal mandates and regulations and state ones as well on healthcare because there are about 2,100 mandates on insurance companies in the various states around the country, Any, anywhere from chiropractic care to in vitro fertilization to alcohol rehabilitation. I mean, if I want a healthcare plan that covers, say, alcohol rehabilitation, I should be able to get that plan but you shouldn't have to subsidize what I want, and particularly as young people, you want coverage for catastrophic care, not for all of these um, individual things. We also should allow, when George Bush was president, George W. Bush, there was um, the possibility of passing a law which would allow small groups to band together under a plan called Association Health Plans. That never um, was passed, and I, I think you know, George, President Bush was to blame for that, but people in small groups should be able to band together, build a group, and then have a higher, a larger risk pool, which would then allow people um, to, um, you know, people the people who are sicker would be covered by the by the larger people in the pool who are healthy and young. People should be able to purchase health insurance across state lines. Why should a young person like yourself, if you live in New York, have to buy a very expensive plan with community rating, guaranteed issue, and all of these mandates when you could go to Idaho and get a plan which would be cheaper because it has fewer regulations. On top of this, the Affordable Care Act added in 10 essential benefits, such as prevent free preventive care, free colonoscopies, um, allowing children to stay on their parents' plans till age 26. All of these things have added increasingly to the cost of care, and um, we need to get rid of those. Consumers need to be in the driver's seat. Um, health savings accounts are a great way to put consumers in the driver's seat, but the amount of money that can be put away should be higher. This year for an individual, it's $3,350, and that HSA has to be combined with a high deductible insurance plan. About 14.5 million people today have HSAs. They reduce the cost of health care because people are more um, in control of, of their health care. But these, the HSA amounts that can be put away should be tied to the amount that we can put away into our individual retirement um, accounts, such as 5500 for an individual and 6550 for a family. We really need to, this is something that we had not done before, and it was a big part, I think, of one of the reasons why Obamacare seemed popular when it was being debated before it became law, 
was the issue of those people with pre-existing or chronic conditions. Because, as you know, many people who are going out to buy individual insurance, if they had a pre-existing or chronic condition, either they couldn't get coverage or it was too expensive for them. So we really need to allow people with pre-existing conditions to purchase coverage. I mean, but people to purchase coverage um, when they are healthy or if they have a pre-existing condition. And as long as they continue to have to pay the premiums for the coverage, then not have them be increased at these terrific rates that then people um, can't can't afford. So continuous coverage is a very important part of covering those people who have pre-existing conditions until we get what I consider a, a complete redo of the healthcare system where it's based on individual coverage and not employer-based coverage. We also need to um, cover, um, expand high-risk pools. The, the, under Obamacare, high-risk pools were part, they were temporary until exchanges came into being, but the funds were, um, they ran out of funds before the expired, before the exchanges even came into being in uh, January 2014. So those people, um, you know, who, who can't get coverage, um, high-risk pools would be a great way, while the market is in, in flux and we're building an employ, uh, a consumer-based system, if the gov federal government were to put in about $7.5 billion a year into the high-risk pools until we get um, a properly functioning market. And another big issue is um, medical malpractice reform. I believe that med mal reform should be done at the state level, not by the federal, not by the federal government. But we need to cap um, non-economic damages um, in in the um, in the insurance business. Doctors practice defensive medicine because they are so afraid of being sued. Not because, as the president told the American people, they're trying to line their pockets with you know even greater money. And the cost of medical malpractice insurance in this in, in this in in healthcare is about $210 billion a year. As I say, that's because doctors are afraid of being sued, so they do uh, more tests uh, because of that. We need to end these um, costly open-ended entitlements. We need to reform Medicare and Medicaid, two programs, the Medicare program for our seniors and the Medicaid program, which is a joint federal-state program for low-income people. These programs are running out of money, and according to the Congressional Budget Office, if changes aren't made, they will be bankrupt by um, by 2024. Uh, Medicare is costing right now about $500 uh, uh, billion dollars a year. Medicaid about the same. We have about 45 million seniors and about now 71 million people covered on Medicaid because of the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare. We need the federal government should be block granting the states and let them decide what type of Medicaid programs they need. Under Medicare, we need to have premium support, as Paul Ryan talked about a lot, i.e. defined amounts. We need to raise the eligibility age because, of course, you know, when Medicare and Medicaid came into being in 1965, almost 51 years ago, uh, the average life expectancy was 65. Now it's close to 80, and so and people are continuing to work so Medicare's eligibility age should be should be increased, you know, going up to 67, ultimately going up to 70, and then it should be um, income-based. Why should people like Warren Buffett and other people in his age bracket, why should they, you know, be eligible for um, Medicare because they can afford their own uh, coverage? So those are some of the things that I've talked about in my replacement plan, which I think is a plan 
that I hope the Republicans, the candidates, the people, you know, running for office and other positions can rally around so that we can really have a plan that empowers consumers and not the federal government. We will increase the number of people covered. We will reduce the cost of coverage and people will be much happier. 52% of Americans when polled uh, by Gallup recently said they are very um, disappointed in Obamacare. Is there, in your view and from your study of the issue, any historical precedent in the form of a country and their experience that would lead to a good model for looking at a transition from a hyper-regulated or completely socialized healthcare system to a free market one, like, say, a Chile or some other example? Well, I mean, I think the United States really has um, the best example. People come to this country from all over the world to get the type of care they can't get in their own country. If you look at the pharmaceutical and biologic, biomedical industries, all of the research and development is being done in this country. We have the best example of healthcare. It needed, you know, to be um, tweaked. It needed to be improved along the lines of what I've talked about. But instead, um, President Obama was elected. Not one Republican um, voted on uh, for uh, the Affordable Care Act, but yet it's really, you know, taking the healthcare system down the path to a Medicare for all single payer system, which, you know, Bernie Sanders, who is one of the candidates who is, you know, pushing and says he's going to, out, you know, bring out his plan, which apparently the cost would be about $15 trillion. So I think we have the best system. We need to build on the system we have, not to tear it down and lead us down the path to um, a single payer Medicare for all system, which will really be, will destroy um, the best and brightest young people going into medicine. It'll destroy the innovation and research and development in uh, pharmaceuticals and biologics, which allow Americans to live longer and healthier lives. And all of this talk about drugs are too expensive. Hillary Clinton, we have to you know, control. Um, we have, the government should be setting the prices of pharmaceuticals. All of these things will destroy um, the, the healthcare market in this country. Yeah, and of course, price controls are dealing with the symptoms of failed policy in the first place. But, but rather than go down that rabbit hole, let's um, let's transition to a final question regarding someone who I'm sure would like price controls on pretty much everything in an economy, and that's Michael Moore. And I mentioned at the top of our interview that you had a cameo in his movie Sicko. So tell us a little bit about that experience, and also your thoughts as to why within the culture. For whatever reason, those who are proponents of a socialized healthcare system have not won among the public. In other words, Obamacare was unpopular before it was even passed, and it continues to be popular, uh, unpopular today. So why hasn't the left on this particular argument won in the culture? Well, going um, looking at Michael Moore and his movie Sicko, which um, um, from his point of view was a failure at the box office, I had done an interview um, with um, Bill O'Reilly on the Canadian healthcare system and the single payer system, pointing out, you know, the problems of ration care, long waits, and lack of access to the latest uh, technology, and why this was bad for the Canadian people and the British people. Michael Moore took that clip uh, and used it in his movie uh, Sicko to um, obviously to denigrate um, what I had to say, um, but the movie was not a success. The American people, deep down, do not want 
uh, the federal government controlling all aspects of their lives. And of course, we're seeing more and more of that. So um, my husband teased me that, well, you know, if you had that cameo, he didn't, um, you should be getting royalties from, from the movie Sicko. But um, of course, it wasn't a great success, so maybe there weren't many royalties to be had. But, um, uh, you know, it was, he is a big fan of government control, government involvement in all aspects of our lives, including healthcare. So um, we don't, um, this is not, um, this is not a good plan uh, for, for America. Well, hopefully you can make some more cameos and some other leftist propaganda movies and help them fail at the box office as well. Right, exactly. <laughs> the name of the book is The Way Out of Obamacare. We've been speaking with its author, Sally Pipes. Sally, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Well, thank you, Ben. Take care. Intro and outro courtesy of Kurt Vile's Freeway.